and let's get the technology going, shall we? Good morning, and a warm welcome to Weymouth Family Church, whether you're a regular, uh, an occasional regular, you know who you are, uh, or whether you're a visitor this morning. So it's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us just now. Um, my name's Andrew Knowles. I'm part of the church um, here, and uh, I'm preaching this morning. Are we working? Let's try this. Uh, there's a little red light. There's a really little red thing there. It's case remembering which button to press, isn't it? Right button. No, nothing's happening. Oh, right. Okay. Ah, you see. It's pointed that way. There we are. Oh, just love technology. Rachel said to me, uh, was preparing for this, you want to try and use some video? And I said, you know how much trouble we have with PowerPoint? You know? And, and then we went to Foundations, uh, Foundations Training, um, which we, we go to with Elaine. Um, it's part of Commission sort of theology and leadership training, uh, and the guy who was running it, Mick Taylor, decided to use a few videos. And we sat there, and I said, that's why we don't do video, when he was fighting to get the video working. And then we had the video and no sound and all the rest of it. Anyway, good morning uh, and welcome. And yes, this morning we're looking at John Mark. But before that, this is great when God joins up the dots. I didn't, we didn't know what, um, which is my wife, she led worship. We didn't know what Teresa was bringing at the start there. Draw near. But it just all joins up all the way through. And the things that people have brought, the contributions, it's all about drawing near. And I'm hoping that that will come through this talk about John Mark as well. But starting the other way around, how about running away? What do you run away from? What have you, what's the most scary thing that you have ever run away from? Spider? Was it a particularly large spider? <laughs> sort of like 12 feet across or something. A mouse? Mice? I don't think mice are scary. Uh, they're not ideal if you're in your house. Right. Anybody else? Heights? Run away from heights. So heights don't tend to move. You can't. <laughs> How about things that aren't quite so scary? Um, like responsibilities. Has anyone ever run away from responsibilities? Uh, I remember years ago I was involved in, um, in an organization and we were setting up some businesses. Um, and I could see from fairly early on, it's my responsibility to sort of run the thing, that some of those businesses weren't going to make money. Um, only very small businesses, only employed a tiny number of people. But I could see they weren't going to make money, whereas another bit of other business was making money. But and this, is a, this is a church, Christian organization. Um, but it took me a long time, because I could see this isn't going to work. But it took me a long time, probably about a year or so, before I actually put my hand up and said to people, you know what, this isn't going to work. And we need to do something. Uh, so, and I've looked back at that and thought I should maybe I should have done that earlier. I mean, the flip side is, people kept their jobs for another year, 
So it wasn't necessarily all a bad thing, but I, I feel that I had a responsibility there to, and I mean, I wasn't the only one. There are other people who could have looked at the numbers and who could have come to the same conclusion. But yeah, for, uh, so I, I felt to a certain extent, I backed off from responsibility there for a while because you see that you know, the church was losing money, but it was playing people. So I would say it wasn't necessarily all so bad. So running away from things. We're looking at John Mark, as I said today. As part of our series, we're going through the book of Acts, looking at the supporting characters. The stars of the book of Acts are obviously, um, well, Jesus, obviously, but all here only plays a small part of the start. Through the Holy Spirit, through the rest of it as well. But you've got Paul and you've got Peter, the sort of greats that we look to. But there are all these supporting characters. Last week, Steve talked about, there's a test for you, who was awake? Who did Steve talk about last week? You're not allowed to answer the questions. <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila. And we've also had Philip, Stephen, Barnabas, Cornelius. You talked about Cornelius, didn't you? Yeah, there we are. We've had a whole number of bit part characters. And today we're looking at this guy called John Mark. Who is John Mark? One of the connect groups has looked at John Mark, so they know this. You can, you guys can sleep through this, I guess, potentially, because you've already, you've already done this, haven't you? <laughs> but who is John Mark? He pops up in the book of Acts. He's in Acts 12. He's in Acts 13. He's in Acts 15. But he also appears in some of the other books of the Bible, of the New Testament. So with the exception of the connect group who've already studied it, and Rachel, who knows a lot, about these things. Um, what other books in the New Testament does John Mark appear in? And does this move? Oh, yes, it does. Look, there we are. I won't press the button because the others will pop up. Oh, what other books is John Mark in? Come the Gospel of Mark. There's a clue in the name there, isn't there? Okay, Gospel of Mark. Any others? Silence. Take a, take a guess. Pick a random letter from Paul. Sorry? Anyone saying anything? No, you say, okay, well, never mind. I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. Colossians? He is in Colossians, yes. Romans? No. Let's put the full list up for you. So there we are. He's in Acts, obviously. Colossians? Philemon? He's in there. 2 Timothy? and 1 Peter and Gospel of Mark. So John Mark pops up in six different books. And the, for bonus points, how many different authors wrote about John Mark? <laughs> there are four. There are four different authors across there. So four different people um, wrote about John Mark, one of whom was Mark himself. Um, And the challenge for preaching on John Mark and bringing his story to you is that although he's referred to quite a lot in the New Testament, we only get teeny tiny snippets. Um, so, for example, uh, in Philemon, his, his, entry, his, his entry is limited to a line right at the end of the letter, and Philemon's quite a short letter, where Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And there we are. That's Mark's reference in 
the book of Philemon, just his name and a list of people who are described as fellow workers. And that's the challenge for preparing talks around, particularly around John Mark today. Am I in the way here? Shall I move slightly? Now, as you know, uh, most, many, most of you know, we, we are, as a church, we're part of the family of churches called Commission, hence the banner up there, with the Commission mission statement. And Commission is committed to Bible-based preaching. Well, of course, we probably take it for granted that our preaching is Bible-based because we're often many of us have been in churches like this for a long time. But I've certainly been in churches where... Um, I need a table this side, really. I'm getting instructions from the front here. I've been in churches where the preaching has been, mm, say Bible-based would be stretching it. I mean, I've heard a preacher, I think, at least once in, in one church where the Bible just wasn't, and Jesus and God and things weren't mentioned at all. I think it was a preach about Charles, King Charles I or something, which I thought, you know. Um, and the, so the challenge is for us is to bring Bible-based preaching and to look at, and that means looking at what the Bible says. So is it a Bible-based preach if I bring to you, if I look at a passage or a story, and then I say, oh, okay, this is what the Bible says, and, and, so, and this, is, this is my thoughts about it. Is that a Bible-based preach? As I said, Elaine and Rachel and I are doing foundations, uh, and we've, uh, so we're, we've just finished the first year, and we're into the second year of theology and leadership training. And a lot of that, obviously, is about looking at how to understand the Bible better, get messages about the, out of the Bible, and then preaching. The last two uh, sessions we've had have been, we've had two days on, on preaching, the sort of techniques of preaching and, and other aspects of that. So hopefully, you're all going to see an improvement today, because I've had two days of training on it quite recently. Um, and Rachel will be evaluating me afterwards. So is that Bible-based preaching? Just look at the passage and say, oh, these are my thoughts on that. Well, no. Bible-based preaching is about looking at a passage. It is about looking at a story. But it starts with, what was the original author saying to their original audience? And then, what biblical principles can we draw out of that to apply to us today? The meaning of the Bible doesn't change. You know, the books that we're looking at today are about 2,000 years old, but the meaning hasn't changed. And we come to them and we read them and we study them and we go to look to the Holy Spirit, obviously, to inspire us. So we draw out what God wants to say to us today through his word. And that's a challenge when, although there are quite a lot of references to John Mark, they're not necessarily um, very detailed. In fact, that one that I read to you just now from Philemon was really quite limited, wasn't it? It was just his name. I mean, what message can we draw out of his name being mentioned? So what I'm saying to you today is, is uh, to encourage you to weigh what I say. I'm bringing what I believe God wants me to bring, but I'm conscious that it's picked up from bits and pieces. I'm telling John Mark's story. And as part of that, I have to make certain assumptions. Now, I have tried to align my assumptions. Hopefully, I have aligned my assumptions with what the majority of scholars and theologians think. So they've thought these things, and they've thought a lot about it. So I shall I'll be aligning myself with those. For example, we had the list of books up just now, and there's six different books that mention John Mark. Can we be absolutely sure that they're all mentioning the same person? 
Mark was not exactly an unusual name. No, we can't be absolutely so sure. Can we be absolutely certain that the book, the Gospel of Mark, was written by the same John Mark we're going to talk about in Acts? No, we cannot be absolutely sure about that. So I have to sort of bring that caveat as I bring this this morning. So as a general rule, most people accept that it probably was the same John Mark through. But you need to know that it's, that's not necessarily the case. But the principles I want to draw out, I'm hoping are uh, trusting or in, are in line with Scripture. And will inspire us and encourage us. So verses like this. What does this actually tell us about John Mark? This is the verse from Philemon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. What does that tell you, us, about John Mark? He was in relationship. So he was part of a group. And obviously, this is written by Paul. So Paul... Paul knows him. What else? He was a worker. Sorry? He was evangelist. Doesn't actually say he's evangelist, but it does say he's a fellow worker. Absolutely. It says he's with Paul. And we, Philemon is generally reckoned to have been written in Rome. So we can assume, therefore, that Mark is also in Rome, with Paul. Was he a prisoner? Paul is a prisoner. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, is Mark a prisoner? Yes? No? We don't know. I mean, my reading of that, and bear in mind, it's a translation, all the rest of it, my reading of that is that probably he wasn't a prisoner because he's being separated from, from Epaphras. But we don't know that for sure. So again, this is the challenge of working with uh, these texts. And so I said, I'll try and point out assumptions we're going along. I'm sort of assuming in this case he's not a prisoner. So as we walk through the story of John Mark's life, I'm going to start in that's unsurprisingly, maybe surprisingly, in the book of Mark itself. I said, I'm assuming that this is written by John Mark, the same John Mark. And the screen here should actually, if it faced me, I could see it. And then I wouldn't have to keep wandering looking at that one. So this is from Mark 14. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has, is coming to the end of his ministry on earth. He's, he's, a, he's with his disciples. They've been praying in the garden. He knows that the authorities want to arrest him. And just as they prayed, then he sees Judas coming towards him. Here comes my betrayer, says Jesus, just in the verse before this. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. 
The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Must have been quite a sharp sword to do that. Am I leading rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So we have an odd verse, that last one. We have the story of Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The story is repeated in the other Gospels. And then you've got this one line about this young man who was following Jesus and fled. And that line is not repeated in any other gospel. What's that telling us? What is the author of Mark telling his readers when he writes that, do you think? The assumption and I'll go along with this, is that this is Mark talking about himself. What he's saying is, I was there. And not only was I there, like all the rest, I ran away. Let's move on. It's Mark referring to himself. The next reference to John Mark is in the book of Acts. Uh, it's in Acts 12. And actually, it's not really a reference to John Mark at all. It's a reference to his mother. The church was undergoing its first bout of persecution. And this is probably about 10 years or so, 8 to 10 years after the Garden of Gethsemane scene, after Jesus had been crucified, died, rose again. So it's about 10 years later. That young man would have been not quite so young, but still relatively young, probably. I mean, I don't know. We obviously don't know the ages, but I'm guessing maybe in his teens in that first one. So in his 20s, quite probably. Again, an assumption, and the age doesn't really matter, but in his 20s. And the first bout of persecution is happening in Jerusalem. And Peter has been locked up. The Apostle Peter has been locked up in prison. And and most of us are familiar with the story. Peter's there in prison, and in the middle of the night, an angel appears, like they do. And Peter is led by the angel out of the prison. Locked doors open for them as they go along. And he's taken into the street. So Peter stands there in the street. And then, from the way it's presented in Acts, it's only then when the angel has left and he's in the street, he suddenly thinks, oh, that's what happened. I mean, it's, you know, it's quite an unusual thing, isn't it, for an angel to come and rescue you from prison. So he came to his senses, as it were. Um, 
And then we have this in Acts 12. When this had dawned on him, so he's standing there in the street thinking, oh, crumbs, I don't know what's happened now. I'm out. What am I going to do? He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Poor Peter. He's still behind a locked door, just on the wrong side this time. Or again. Um, but anyway, so again, this is, an, this is another fleeting reference to John Mark. So again, what does this tell us about John Mark? Sorry? He had family. Specifically, he had a mother. Mother called Mary. Yeah. It's not difficult. The answers hopefully are on the screen. What else does it tell us about John Mark? Sorry? Well, it doesn't actually say he's a man of prayer. But it does say that believers gathered in his house, in his mother's house, and because whether he lived there or not, but certainly it was his mother's house. The fact that it mentions his mother rather than his father would perhaps imply that his father was dead. Um, the fact that she's got a house sort of implies that she's reasonably well off. So the family is reasonably well off. We don't know how well off. Peter's standing there in the street in the dark, having been rescued by an angel, and he thinks, oh, I'm going to go to Mary's house. Again, what does that tell us? He's been there before. Therefore, again, it's a believing family. It would seem that the church, the Christians, often met at the house. So what we can deduce from this is that John Mark was growing up in a household, certainly in his sort of teen, 20 years, where there was a believing family. He had been there, we assume, from the way it's presented. He had been there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, even if only briefly. So he had seen that. So he'd grown up with that. He'd grown up in that Christian environment for about 10 years. That's Peter we're talking about. Yeah, John Mark is what we're, yeah, but yeah, so, so obviously, yes, so, yes, you're absolutely right. So it says that Peter is recognized by the household because Rhoda hears the voice and says, oh, that's Peter's voice. Quick, I'll tell everybody that he's outside the door, even though he should be in prison. So, no, you're absolutely right. So, again, Peter was very familiar, the household were very familiar um, with. Yeah, absolutely. They were praying for him. So let's just look at the next reference. And the next reference is at the end of chapter 12, and I'm not going to put all of these up on the board. Uh, so a little bit later on, and it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, and Barnabas and Saul had gone to uh, Jerusalem, when they had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem. So they returned, that's going back to Antioch. So Jerusalem's down here, and Antioch's way up here. This is a very simple map. The only two things you need to know is that Jerusalem's here and that Antioch's up here, north. Again, there's quite a big gap in between. So Barnabas and Saul, Paul as he would become known, finished their mission. They went from Jerusalem and they took with them. So when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So this is the same character. 
Because in the previous verse, it also talked about John also called Mark. And we won't get into the issue of why he's got two names. It's fine. It's quite, it's quite usual in the time. So, so, he, so John Mark went with Barnabas and Paul, Saul, up to Antioch. He seems to have been their assistant. Now, we don't know how long Barnabas and Saul, Paul, spent in Antioch before they then set off on the next journey, and they also took him with them there. But there was a period of time, and that period of time, from all the stuff I've seen, would probably be a few years. So it seems likely that Barnabas and Saul were working in Antioch for a number of years with John Mark as their assistant, supporting them. So he's come out of this Christian household, and he's now in the thick of it with Barnabas and Saul in Antioch, evangelizing, helping to build the church. He's there on the front line being an assistant. Yes, that's a good point. I haven't, I haven't mentioned that yet, but uh, John Mark is actually a cousin of Barnabas. So there is a family relationship going on there quite what cousin meant in those days, but certainly they were very, they were closely related. They were part of the same extended family. So in Acts 13, it talks about Barnabas and Saul, and it says the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. So they went off to Cyprus. Anyone ever been, I've never been to Cyprus. I was a forces child. My group, I, I grew up in the, my father was in the Air Force. And every school we went to, there were always kids who used to live in Cyprus. It always sounded fun. But yeah, anyone, anyone know Cyprus? I don't know Cyprus at all. Yeah. So, but they weren't going there on holiday. Obviously, they were going there on a mission trip to start establishing churches. So the two of them, say so Acts 13, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. That's Saul and Barnabas. Went on there, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So John is continuing on this. So where are we? There we are. There's a travel picture. Just changing them. You've got something else to look at rather than me. So they're sailing off to Cyprus. And John Mark is their helper. And as, as has been noted, absolutely, yes, uh, John Mark is related to Barnabas. He is family member. And on Cyprus, they go to the various different synagogues around the island. And John Mark gets to witness Saul and Barnabas in action. He's seen them working in Antioch. And now he's seeing them in action in the field, as it were, in Cyprus, going around from one synagogue to the other, preaching the gospel. And they get to the other end of the island, and they meet uh, a chap called Elimas. He's a Jewish sorcerer. And Paul prophesies blindness over him, uh, and he loses his sight. And that helps the proconsul, the local ruler, come to faith in Jesus. So John Mark is a witness to all of this. He's seeing all this exciting stuff happening. He's seeing the Holy Spirit making a difference in people's lives. He's seeing church built and established. He's working with Paul and Barnabas first. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with Paul and Barnabas firsthand? Yeah. We look back, obviously, with the benefit of history, but that must have been an amazing time. And then Paul and Barnabas leave Cyprus, and they also leave Mark, or more specifically, Mark leaves them. A few verses further down in Acts 13, it says, From Paphos, 
Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark, who was brought up in Jerusalem, went to Antioch, went to Cyprus with them, and then went off home to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? We have no idea why John Mark left Paul and Barnabas. All that we know is that he did. It was recorded in the book of Acts. Did he have a problem? I don't know. There's no, there's no, there's no evidence. Sorry? Although that comes a bit later on, yes. But so why he left, we have no idea. Did he, was he, well, he probably wasn't homesick because he'd already been in Antioch for a good while. But did he, was he just tired? Did he, did he find the traveling lifestyle didn't suit him, this going from place to place? Did he have some sort of disagreement with others in the party? Did he get a message from his mother from home saying, you need to come home because, I don't know, your mother's ill or something like that? We have no idea why John Mark left them. What we do know from a little bit later on is that Paul wasn't very impressed. And Paul considered him to have deserted them. So whatever the reason, it wasn't a good enough reason for Paul. He was unhappy with it. A bit later on, we look at Acts 15. And this is where Paul and Barnabas have finished their first journey. They've gone back to Antioch. They've been in Antioch for a year or two. And then, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back, go back to Cyprus, and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. But not just Cyprus, because they went to other places as well. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So Paul certainly considered that John Mark had run away from the, from the task. He had backed out. He had deserted. And that caused a disagreement. I and mean, it's quite a serious disagreement. I mean, how do you think John Mark felt when he reflected on this and thought, you know, what I've done, I ran away from them. Then they wanted me to, um, uh, Barnabas wanted me to come back and help. But Paul said no. And that's caused a rift between these two leaders, this great partnership. Barnabas and Paul all of a sudden is ripped apart by what John Mark had done. What we do has consequences. There's a few points I want to draw out as we go through this, and, and this is a good point to, to, to stop and ponder. What we do has consequences. Oh, sorry, I didn't put that part of the verse up, did I? Did I not read that bit? Right, okay, read it again then. Sorry. Didn't tell me. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where he preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them, but Paul did not think it wise because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. I've already read that bit once. They had such a sharp disagreement. Sorry, I didn't read that earlier. They had such a sharp disagreement. Not just a disagreement, a sharp one. And sharp enough to get recorded in the book of Acts. I mean, it's probably quite some disagreement. Uh, and they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and left, commended by the believers by the grace of the, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Sharp disagreement, as I was saying. Separation. Well, you could look at it in the positive and say, well, you know what? There was going to be one missionary trip, and now there's two happening simultaneously. So look at the good. 
It's not all bad. But there are consequences. The actions that John Mark took created consequences. And the decisions that we take in our life have consequences. Oh, yeah, that's the slide I was expecting. What I decide has ramifications. It has consequences. How, how many decisions do you make every day, by the way? Do you know how many decisions you make every day? If you Google it, because Google's right, obviously, it says 35,000 decisions per day, which apparently is about once every two seconds of being awake. Now, that's the top end, probably. You know, it depends, obviously, on a whole range of factors. Different articles would say different. It's, it's, I don't think it's something that anyone's actually measured. But we do make a lot of decisions. And most of those decisions are fairly insignificant, like, shall I have tea? Shall I have coffee? You know, shall I have that biscuit? Or should I you know, not have that biscuit? You know, some of the decisions are harder, obviously. And it's important that we seek God in our, in our major decisions. And some of the decisions that I've made in my life, one of the decisions that I made a while back, a few years back, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of computer games. Looking at most of you, you probably, probably don't play computer games, so maybe you don't get that. But the, you're probably a big fan of other things, I don't know, soap operas or books or fishing or whatever. We all have different things. And, I, you know, and, and this is probably about 15, 20 years ago now, I was um, yeah, spending quite a bit of time playing computer games and thinking, you know what? When I look back at my life, do I want to be known for being really good at Age of Empires or whatever computer game it was at the time, or do I want to be known for something else? And I had to make a decision. And that decision, I like doing this, and it's okay to do it a little bit, but actually, you know what? I'll never be good at playing computer games because I don't put the time in. I just dabble in them a little bit now because it's more important. There are other things that are more important. That's a, decision, that's a conscious decision that I had to make. So our decisions have consequences. And obviously, we, have, we can make decisions which don't have such positive consequences. Anyone from the Bible who've made decisions that didn't have good consequences? Just about all of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ruth, Ruth. Ruth's decisions have pretty good consequences, I think. Um, sorry? Judas, well, Judas is a fairly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the sort of thing like, like King David, who was a man of God and who, who, and, and who God commended. And yeah, even he made bad decisions, committing adultery and having somebody's husband murdered, you know, and that had consequences. He lost his son as a result of that. So decisions have consequences. And you can't make decisions. So John Mark had, had to live with that for the rest of his life. In the early letter of Philemon, um, it listed John Mark and it also listed Luke. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, obviously, and, 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 the, and I just fanciful, but think, one day, were they sitting there in Rome, think, you know, doing whatever they were doing, and, you know what, Luke, someone needs to write all this stuff down. You know, we're busy, busy building church, we're doing all of this excellent stuff, someone needs to make a record of this. And Luke, you're a, you're a, you're a doctor, you're well-educated, you're going to write it down. And Luke goes, yeah, I, you know, I could do that. I could write a couple of books, couldn't I? I could call one of them, uh, you know, uh, you know how it goes. Um, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the Book of Acts. But you know what, says Luke to John Mark, I'm going to have to tell them what happened in Cyprus and what that did to Paul and Barnabas. And this is me being entirely speculative, but I just like to think of it like that. You know, these guys knew each other. 
As it was, Mark actually wrote his gospel probably way before Luke uh, wrote his. But there are consequences to our actions, and, Bar and Mark, John Mark had to live with the consequences. But that's not the end of John Mark's story. Where are we next? Okay. John Mark continues, and he pops up in all those other letters. Remember the other books that we talked about? And in Philemon, what did Paul call John Mark or Mark in the Philemon? My fellow worker. So this is Paul who said, I don't want anything to do with John Mark on this trip because he deserted us. A few years later, probably five or ten years later, writing down in a letter, Mark is one of my fellow workers. And again, in Colossians, uh, in Colossians he writes, um, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus send you his greetings. Um, so probably the same Aristarchus as it was in Philemon, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. I don't think we have a record of those instructions. I couldn't think of anywhere where there, there was a record of instructions, but certainly Paul. So, so again, Paul is thinking highly of Mark here. And in Paul's very last letter to Timothy, written probably not that long before he, he was executed, he writes to Timothy, do your best to come quickly for Demas, who, he who loved the world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Just a quick deviation there. Demas was mentioned back in Philemon. Demas is one of the Lons who was listed as a fellow worker. Now in 2 Timothy, he's gone a different direction. He loved the world and has deserted me. But he also says, um, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus has Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. So Mark's not with Paul, but Paul wants him to come to him. So there's lots of positive references. So John Mark has gone from being the deserter to the one who Paul is writing positively about. And the last reference is in 1 Peter. This is Peter. Peter writes in his letter, right to the end of the letter, he says, he, he describes Mark as his son. And he's not meaning, probably not meaning physical son in that context. He's meaning his spiritual son. So Peter is being very positive about John Mark. So John Mark has gone on this journey. And it would seem that John Mark persevered. He had a wobble. He, quite, he had two wobbles. If you go back to, to, the, to the Gospel of Mark, and he's there in the garden against the enemy, and he runs away like the rest of them, it's a wobble. He goes with Paul and Barnabas to Cyprus, and then goes off home for some reason, and Paul is not impressed. We can assume it's a wobble of some sort. He's messed up. But he perseveres. He comes back. And that's where I want to finish with, really, with, for, for us all today, is persevering in the journey that God has got for us, even if we get it wrong, even if we fall down, and we all fall down, don't we? We all make mistakes. I'm sure we've all looked back at decisions we've made and thought, I wish I hadn't decided that. I wish I hadn't done that. But you know what? God takes those things and he uses them. As in the story of John Mark, suddenly you've got two missionary journeys rather than one. That's not a reason for making bad decisions, but God can work through those things. God continually molds us. And finally, what are we running away from right now? We talked about running away. We talked about drawing near. Draw near, says Jesus. The traffic lights are beeping. Draw near. But how easy is it to want to run away? I have to be honest and say that there are times at the moment, and it's quite often, when I've got business life, 
and I've got a family life and I've got a church life. And quite often there's a whisper in my ear right now that says, you know what, you're too busy. Put something down. This church one, you don't need to do that. You know, you can just turn up and sit at the back and be quiet. Just, you know. That's quite tempting sometimes. And I know where that whisper's coming from. We have an enemy who's trying to distract us. But it's a choice. It's a choice to keep coming back. It's a choice to keep being involved. And a few years back, I did, I did that. I chose for a few years to sit back for various reasons. But, you know, God called me about two or three years ago. I had a real sense of God saying, it's time to move on. But I had to respond to that. I, had to make a, I, made, I remember the moment when I made the conscious decision. I said, yeah, I know, what, Lord, I need to press on with this stuff. I need to grow in you and see where it takes me, but more importantly, where it takes the kingdom of God. It's, it's not about us at all. God chooses to work with us. So that's my encouragement to you. Wherever you're at, whatever hurdle you're facing, whatever challenge you're facing, whatever moment of doubt, we had talked about doubt earlier on. Pauline brought that word about doubt. Whatever doubt, stay focused on Jesus. Come back to that story right at the start. Why did Mark put that in his gospel? He didn't need to say, I was there and I ran away, which is what it probably says, but he did. To remind himself, to remind his readers, to remind us that it's just so easy to run away. So that's my challenge. Keep persevering. We're going to have a song in a minute. And if there's something in your life where you're feeling this is hard work, persevering, or if God's laid something on your heart and you're thinking, I think I ought to be pressing into this, but you know what? It's just a bit too difficult. John Mark on Cyprus, was it just a bit too difficult? Is it a bit too difficult, the thing that God's calling you to do? Have you started something? Are you involved in something? And it feels like hard work, but you know inside it's the right thing. And God's maybe spoken to you about it being the right thing, but it's hard. Keep going. Keep persevering. Don't drop your garment, as John Mark did in the garden, and run away. Don't run from Jesus. Draw near to him. The worship team want to come back up. Don't be a deserter. John Mark was called a deserter by Paul. And Luke records that. Didn't desert the faith, but he just gave up on that work that seemed too hard. That's the way it looks to us. So make a decision. Your decisions have implications. Make a positive decision to keep pressing on to those things that Jesus would have you press into. If you haven't got a faith in Jesus, then again, as you were encouraged earlier on, bring those doubts to him. Bring those doubts to Jesus and say, look, Lord, if you really are who you say you are, I want to know. And that's the same with every other aspect of life. Eggs in the basket. Where are your eggs? Put them all in that basket. Make the decision to persevere into all that Jesus has got for you as an individual, but also for us as a community. What we do affects us as a community of people as well. John Mark, his decision affected him, but it also affected the church community. So as we sing, if you want prayer, if, you, if God has spoken to you this morning, certainly spoken to me through this, there's something that in my life where God's, as I prepared this, God said, it's time to make a decision, and I've made a decision.
So if you're struggling with something, persevering in something and finding it hard, if you feel you've failed, if there's that thing inside you that says, I let God down, I let a friend down, any of those things and you'd like prayer, and prayer is always the best thing, then I encourage you to maybe come forward as we sing or certainly come at the end. I and some of the others will pray for you. Don't run from Jesus. Don't be a deserter. Keep persevering into what he has for you and what he has for us.